Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Not much has changed, man. We're in here every day talking smack. <laughs> and I and I know that. And it's like I can come and visit and just kind of get a chuckle or two every every once in a while. It's it, I'm I'm behind, dude, because I've got to I've got to find this guy that's doing this ordinals thing because I'm I'm still way behind the eight ball as far as education is concerned with this whole NFT on Bitcoin thing. I'm just uh, and I know that's not going to be the subject today, but I was like I'm I got to catch some catch some nuggets from somebody and figure this thing out. It's really not that important. It's I know, okay. and that's what I thought too. It's like, okay, basically, we're putting graffiti on on the uh, on the rail cars and letting them go. Yeah, I mean, we've dedicated probably twelve hours of discussion to this topic over the last week and a half. I'm guessing. Well, let me give you let me let me give you the analogy that I came up with. The professional noob that I am. It's like if you've ever gone to one of those, uh, just any attraction uh, or tourist attraction, and you've seen those little machines that crush a penny and put like some sort of a little imprint on this penny, and you can pay 50 cents for the privilege of having your penny ruined. And then you've got this little trinket that you can save from the place that you went that nobody else is going to want, but you have it and it's on a penny. Am I close? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's yet to be, I think it's yet to be seen. I, I, I suspect that it'll be some time before people realize whether any of this is valuable or important. My, my personal theory is, is that we're not going to know how important this was until the aliens who are deciding whether we get accepted into the galactic society. You've been drinking against what I'm you, Alex. Take a look at our <laughs> take a look at our blockchain ordinals and see the kind of chaos that these monkeys put on this blockchain. Yeah, I, I, and I've purposely tried to ignore it because it really does look like that crush penny thing for, for me. You know, take a satoshi and draw something on it, and then then what? Oh, big deal. It's going to end up getting spent anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's it's even worse than that because it's not even take a Satoshi and write something on it. It's it's take an imaginary Satoshi, you know, so like this imaginary numbering system where we think we have a Satoshi and then write something on it. So it's like a completely, you know, arbitrary system outside of the base layer numbering Satoshis, which isn't possible, but, you know. I mean, I guess if we all have a mass delusion that you can number Satoshis, then you can number Satoshis. But but then, yeah, then they're writing something on these imaginary Satoshis that they supposedly have. 
Okay, good. Then I'm I'm glad that I've been pretty much ignoring this whole thing because it just it, it didn't make any sense as to why it made a difference. And I'm I'm sick of the term use case. Is anybody else just sick of the term use case? Oh, I'm so sick of that. Okay, <laughs> dude, it's either money or it's not. Okay, and you can use it on pretty much anything. Th that's a use case. Okay, shut up. Then let's move on. And anybody else now, from either? No, Nate. What do you think of like of like um uh, what was the 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 you know, social media second layer that was on here or whatever. Uh, Not to building off of lightning. Noster? Is that what it was called? No, Alex, who, who came on? Uh, somebody help me out with that one, too. We can get that. Well, that there we're, second, we're seeing but... lots of these pop up. You know, you've got Zion, you've got... Yeah, Zion. So like uh, Zion. You know, you've got Impervious, you've got Heat, you've got tons of these kind of th protocols being worked right. on right now. But Zion in particular is using inscriptions to, to oh. make user accounts, right? So, I mean, there are, like, non-monetary uses of Bitcoin uh, that are popping up as people build, you know, more and more things on top of it. But there again, isn't that like writing a message on a dollar bill? Well, the point is that, you know, because of its immutability, I mean, Bitcoin is a really good place to store data that you don't want to ever change. And I suppose it's true, and in, in, I'll dig down the rabbit hole just a little bit, but is there going to be any authority and, and, author, and there's going to be authority necessary in this, in this little model that I'm putting together or agreement between people within a community that it actually is evidence toward the invention of something or toward the intellectual property of something? I, I just I don't see that happening because it's going to take more than more than just you know, putting a, an imprint on a Satoshi in order to prove that you own something I, as far as something outside of the blockchain itself. Somebody tell me where I'm wrong. So, hey, really, explain this to me because okay, I'm, so I'm honestly could, searching for answers. You could probably try to try to uh, secure the IP around maybe the magic decoder ring for, the, for that series of ordinals or whatever. Okay. But that doesn't mean anybody else needs to give a crap about that. Right. It's kind of like... You know what I mean? VHS Betamax. Like you can <laughs> you can patent Betamax, right? But it doesn't mean anybody's gonna give a shit. Right. So it just depends on what the market do, does. Okay. I took you off your subject because this is your show, not mine. Sorry, dude. We don't actually have a subject. First thing in the morning we usually <laughs> talk about whatever. Because I'm still drinking coffee and I'm still waking up. So the first it it depends. Like the show's funny, like some days we'll go eight or ten or twelve minutes of just whatever, and then um, we'll start digging into real, actual like news cycle stuff. <laughs> and other days, people get so riled up on the topics, it just never ends, man. So like you know, well, I have no one. I have no intention of getting riled up because I'm right there with you, Alex. I got a cup of coffee, just waking up, and it's like, hey, dude, dude these are my friends. Let's just go hang out. And here I am. I'm glad you stopped in today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Didn't know you were doing a show today. <laughs> what's, what's that all about? It's, Dude, president, I started... it's President's Day. You know, it's a holiday. Who, oh, who I thought you were giving up? me a hard time. I thought you were giving me a hard time about not doing the show on Fridays. No. So today's Monday. I'm, I'm not even out it of bed oh, yet. How's you. that? I haven't even Peter. gotten out of bed yet, all right? I haven't gotten my coffee. 
I'm going to get mad, so just leave me alone for a minute. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Peter, you're showing. Mike Hobart, good morning, man. I'm here to rile people up because I heard we're trying to rile people up. What are we What are we triggering? Oh, 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 here we go. You want star maps? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, where is it? Yeah, so Thesis published Software, announcing the public debut of Software, a theory presented to the office of the, the president of the United States, the office of the secretary of defense and the joint chiefs of staff about the national strategic significance of Bitcoin by Jason Lowry. You can buy the book for $40. $40. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. You know what's crazy? $40 for that. I've been along for this ride the whole time. I'm not doing that. You know what's crazy about that? I mean, it doesn't matter what you think about, about Lowry's thesis or, you know, the importance of it or whatever. Is there anybody in the White House or the Pentagon that is taking that seriously? You could have ended with you could have ended with the question. question. So yeah, I was gonna say you could have ended with the question, is there anybody in the White House or the Pentagon? And just left it. (laughs) They are kind of sleeping at the wheel, it seems like, but uh, yeah. I mean I, I mean we all take it seriously. We we take we take Bitcoin seriously and we take his his uh his uh thesis seriously but you know we're we're a small community of of individuals who have seen the truth and i just don't know that i mean i don't know it just it just seems so foreign to me i can just see these 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 old guys i mean i'm one of them right but i can just see these old guys in power sitting around going it's fucking magic internet money what what why is this so important i don't understand and then not reading anything there were there were so many people. I'm I'm just continually reminded. I, I I every now and then I see these videos surface of people on TV talking about the internet back in the day. I'm talking like you know, I guess it would have been mid '80s, and they just were so confused by it all. They just they just didn't understand like what does this at symbol in the email mean? Like that kind of stuff. And before that was they the knew Brian it, Gumbel, that was the classic Brian Gumble uh, quote. Can, yeah, can, you, but, can you tell us what the at symbol, what this at sign is? What is the yeah. synonym? And before Whoever they knew it, designed the at symbol is a freaking genius. Like they need to, I don't know if they need to make a mini documentary or what, but <laughs> dude, I think it's gone a lot, gone a lot farther than anybody ever expected. I just think it's funny because you know we've you heard Magoo and the, oh, we've heard Magoo in spaces talking about how people on this in this community are here to make a buck, and then this guy puts out this book for forty dollars. I mean, it's uh, it's just funny. I mean, you know, go out make your money, whatever. But you know, you got Safedine putting he out claims, he claims Bitcoin, he's not making any money on it. Put way. out Bitcoin Standard and basically like release the thing for free, put a PDF out online for people to download for free. He's like, yeah, I'm selling my book, but you can also just like download it because it's important information. And then this thing is some thesis that's been, you know, ballyhooed and promoted for months and then $40 hardcover edition. (laughs) Is that, is that so, 
back in the day um, when I was in college, back in the early 80s, we had to purchase books for classes. And typically those books were written by the professor in the class. Um, is, is that kind of where this is going? He wants to, I mean, is that the, the thing? This is going to be taught in schools or something? I, I, I just, I don't understand. Prob- prob- <laughs> That's a good insight, not. Peter. <laughs> I, um, so, I mean, so I, I, he said that he's not making any money off of it. And I said, well, where's the, you know, where the profit's going? And he said that Amazon has a 40% publishing fee. And I just asked him right now if he's going to release a free PDF version. So I'll let you know what he says. I personally, you know, I don't have any gripes about it. You know, that all human activity is based upon, and this is the, in fact the reason why we're all involved in Bitcoin, by the way. All human activity is based upon we get up every single day and we try to provide some kind of service to mankind. Hopefully, somebody values that enough that they're willing to give you a representation of their labor in the form of money, which you can then use to make your life better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that personally. You know, it's like I reached this point in my life where, I mean, I need to, I need to mind fiat anyway. Right. But there was a point in 2020 when I was running, I was doing my thing, you know, I was co-manager of this physical gold fund and we're doing all that stuff. And, but I'm thinking about Bitcoin and reading about Bitcoin and listening to podcasts for six to eight hours a day. I'm talking to clients on the phone about gold, but in my mind, I'm thinking about Bitcoin. And at some point I'm like, man, I got to stop doing that. And I got to start talking about Bitcoin. And I just so happen to be blessed and fortunate enough to be paid to talk to Bitcoin to talk to people about Bitcoin every day. No, so, it's only four days a week now. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I talk to people about Bitcoin even when I'm not working. What are you talking about? Peter's like, you're a phony. <laughs> you know, I know Thomas got his hand up, but I do have to say one thing. It would have been a brilliant move by Mr. Lowry if he said that you could only pay for this book in Bitcoin. That would have been a brilliant move. Nah, not really. You really cut out a lot, large portion of your target market, man. Like you don't want to do yeah, that. That's exactly the point. He's he's trying to he's trying to basically spread this book far and wide, and the best way to do that is on Amazon. The other thing to think about is, this is a human nature thing, right? People don't value something unless they have to pay dearly for it, like. Bitcoiners, the Bitcoiner mentality is, well, let's just give it away free. And I basically, I agree with that 100%. But also, his audience, the people he's trying to convince, man, you gotta, if they don't think it's valuable, they're not going to pay any attention to it. If there's you not think a cost the President of, of the entry, United States and the, the Joint Chiefs no, he's already got look at this book because it costs $40? No, he's giving it Peter. to them for free, bro. No, Peter, he's, our, he's already talked to them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about all the professors out there, all the people who are like, I am talking about legacy finance. I'm talking about all of the people in the energy sector. I'm talking about all the fiat people 
by fiat people, I mean people who fiat is good to. There's a lot of people in the world who are part of a system that rewards them lavishly for their participation in it because they're close to that money printer. And you're never going to get any of these people's attention through, <laughs> it's dishonest money. Burn it all down. <laughs> Those people will never fucking take you seriously, Peter. So this is one of the one of the things. I don't. I don't. Well, necessarily then, then he should have priced his he should have priced his coffee table book at more like three hundred and fifty bucks if he really <laughs> wants to get their attention. Tomer, would you speak some sense, please? <laughs> First of all. Just to rewind a little, I'm going to speak about Jason's book in a second. The at symbol, <laughs> who was old enough to remember, it, it existed before email. And we used it uh, in retail when we were saying, you're buying like four tomatoes at a dollar a tomato a piece. And so that equals four dollars. I don't know if people remember that. Anyhow, I did not know that, but that is fascinating. There you go. So it's at like... That, that's where the at symbol comes from. So making it at an address is a totally different uh, hijacking of the meaning of the symbol. But Thank you for reminding me how old I am. Thank you, Tomer. You're Appreciate that. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, I, I, were you old? You were so old that you'd actually already forgotten that that's how it worked? Or you, that you might were, be the oh, case. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, listen, I'm old, enough to, I'm old enough to have known it and yet still been able to remember it. So maybe I'm a little bit. Homer's dealing dunks. He's out. He's the one out here triggering people, not me. This morning, this is great. <laughs> um, the other thing about uh, Jason's book, I see it's it's in color in 404 pages. So it costs a lot to make a print-on-demand book. I know, like my book, which I do give away for free uh, at Swan.com/slash/WhyBitcoin. Uh, but when you want a hard copy of it, it's a full-color photo book, and it's only like 80 pages, and it costs if you, in the hardcover version, it costs like 50 bucks, or in the softcover version, like. 50, 35 bucks and and I'm not making anywhere near even 20% on that book. So it's pricey. I'm interested to read Jason's piece. It's 404 pages. That's long. Uh, I hope there's a good abstract in it. And I suspect that we've heard many elements of it in his many interviews that he's given, but I guess this is kind of like the final piece. It's interesting. He hasn't published any excerpts from it. Like there's just a description of what it is and your miscover, which has a nice Bitcoin orange under the word war, which I know is going to upset a bunch of people who take a minute to look at that. Um, so we'll see. I I would gladly pay in sats for a soft cover version. Um, I don't want to lug around a hard cup cover version. I've just gotten used to reading books digitally. Um, and so I'm torn as to whether to buy this hardcover or not. I, I'm definitely interested in what he's finally published. And uh, it says it's a paperback. I, yeah, yeah, that's a soft cover. Yeah, that's yeah, a, so that's expensive. It's 404 pages though. Like that's that's a thick book. Maybe you guys should blame blame dirty fiat money and inflation. There better be good pictures in that book. That's all. Yeah, I'm I was just gonna say, Mike. Every one of his. Of, there better be some pop out, some pop out pictures too. <laughs> pop every, pictures. every one of his napkins. Especially for Peter. Well, I think I think it's you know he's certainly come on the scene and said some interesting things, and this is a very uh, attention grabbing title, right? Like let's let's 
what is it? What does it say? A soft war. Uh, I just got to get this up full size because of my old eyes. A novel theory on power projection and the national strategic significance of Bitcoin. A thesis by Major Jason P. Lowry, United States Space Force. You should have just wrote software and then just crossed out the E on it and highlighted war. I would have gone with oh. it. I, I, I like the idea of calling it software because it's clear that it's like software. It's very subtle about its mention of Bitcoin. He's gone with the antlers metaphor. He's got the deer skull with the antlers attached here. Don't know that that is the best image, but uh, I'm not his book editor. Isn't that a jackalope? <laughs> oh, no, I remember those, too. Oh, my word. Did they haunt your dreams, Nate? Uh, yes, yes, they did. Thank you for scarring me again. <laughs> all right, real topic. You're listening. First of all, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin and we do it every day. This is episode 285. Shout out to Rag 3 AF Fountain. Some quick stats: the Bitcoin impenetrable force field level is at estimated. 299.1 exahash per second. It's down 5.6% over the last 24 hours. We're still That's getting cool. an average block time of about 8 minutes, 54 seconds. It's down 5%? Did you say 5%? Yeah, the hash rate. But the next difficulty yeah. adjustment is supposed to be is being predicted at uh, up 12%. So, Wait a minute. Isn't this a horrible thing that it's down 5%? Nah. Uh, remember how remember how T-Bane and uh, Wicked, I believe, and Ant, probably all three of them have talked about how like the difficult, the, uh, the, um, fuck, the forecasted, um, like, um, hash rate is going to like have like basically kind of wild swings like that is like, especially when you're paying attention to it as closely as you guys do. I wouldn't panic over it. Yeah. Some people might hear that and they might be like, oh no, that's bad. Isn't that bad? Why isn't that bad? Well, I mean, it's still up twelve percent in this in this single two week period. <laughs> so I guess it looked like it was going to be up fourteen or fifteen percent, but now it's only up twelve percent. What? What? How much is two hundred and sixty six or whatever it was you said exahash? Like, is that a lot? Two hundred ninety nine exahash. It's two hundred ninety nine uh, quintillion guesses per second. It's it's a lot. And the and the down five point six percent in the twenty four hour that's that's the hash rate estimate the the t up twelve percent is the uh, next difficulty adjustment prediction estimated February twenty fourth. I hear that makes the network pretty secure. Uh, yeah, there's a recent Michael Saylor uh, video where he compared how much energy Bitcoin uses to defend itself versus how much energy the entire U.S. naval nuclear fleet has. And he said it was, he did the estimations and said it was twice as much. So all the nuclear submarines and all the nuclear aircraft carriers and all the nuclear fleet, other vessels, he, he itemized them all. He said they collectively use half as much energy as Bitcoin uses to defend itself. And of course, the, this defense, you know, they, they use it in a potential threat of offense approach, whereas Bitcoin, literally every, every 
every second is using that all that energy to shield anyone from attacking it. It's building a thicker, thicker shield that requires that much energy. And then he also added to it how much, how specialized and efficient the equipment that does this hashing is, which is if you were going to use all the world's computers, which aren't as efficient at conducting this hash algorithm, you'd need more than all the computing power that exists in the world, including Amazon and Facebook and all, all these other services to be able to penetrate it. So it's when you get a Bitcoin transaction confirmed in the blockchain, it's about the most secure thing that there is in the world. And, and, and along following along that line of thought, why wouldn't the, why wouldn't governments in the world want the most secure thing in the world to protect their own data, to protect their own infrastructure? So because I'm going in, back to Lowry. Insecure, Peter. That's why I'm going back to Lowry and his and his thesis. I mean, there is a really actually interesting part of this blurb right here. He does say that, um, you know, one of the things it says here is by empowering populations to project physical power in, from, and through cyberspace. I mean, think about what think about that line: project physical power through cyberspace. That is a very interesting kind of of. Uh, of idea. I mean, we don't usually think of physical and and um, and cyberspace in the same kind of thought or sentence, and yet we usually also don't think what well, we do about energy and um, cyberspace in the same sentence. So it's almost like he's taking the idea that um, you know Bitcoin is connected to energy. It's it's the it's it's digital connecting to real world and moving that for moving that idea forward. And I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah. And here's I, I what you don't worry about. I'm sorry. Ant. The, I think, I think Peter's hitting on something incredibly important. I think he's, he's getting, starting to get at like the heart of what I think Jason is trying to say. And I see, I've understood this in my opinion, not, I don't necessarily understand everything Jason's talking about. The dude's real wicked smart. No, no, sorry, wicked. I mean, you're, you're the original wicked smart, but like, he's pretty smart, dude. And like, uh, this conversion of, of matter and energy and projection of, of force, like I've understood that personally. From, a, from when he first started talking about it. Because to me, money is, is just a means of storing energy. You can deploy that money, money, you know, as stored energy anytime you want. How? Well, you can literally buy energy with it. So you can literally deploy it as energy. Or you could use that money. If you were going to use it in a physical way, you could use that money to hire Wagner just like Russia is doing right now to put a whole bunch of troops in the field with a whole bunch of equipment to achieve some kind of physical objective. You can, you can deploy that money to do things. You can deploy that money to make more energy. You could build, you could buy SMRs with that money and deploy those SMRs. Right? So to me, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. And, and to me, money and energy has always been a matter of conversion of money and energy or energy to a stored medium. And I get that because of the gold industry. I mean, to, to me, it's so obvious that that's 
what it means. Go ahead, Tomer. Energy and time. You know, I, I think for when you're buying a, another person's labor, when you're asking another person to, to do some work for you, you're paying them with money and you're paying them for, to exercise their energy over a period of time. That's why it makes so much sense to get paid hourly or, you know, sometimes for the, for the task. And then when you're dealing with the, and with something that some company is providing you, yeah, it, it, I guess total amount of work is energy times time, right? The amount of energy times the time that you're putting into it. So the, the cumulative energy, and it really does make sense that, that money is energy or as a famous saying time is money, but, um, energy, you know, work, work is money. And stored energy specifically yeah. like a battery. Yeah. Well, and because, because with what you're hoping to do is to find someone who has energy to deploy. It, it's the same thing that we talk about. Like right now I could be sitting around doing nothing, but that doesn't mean that I'm storing up my energy for something like every, every minute of my time, if I'm doing nothing is disappearing. It's way it's wasting away, and and my body is burning calories uh, just sitting there. Even even if I claim I'm doing nothing, my heart is beating, I'm, I'm breathing, I'm metabolizing, all this kind of stuff. So like, there's no way to not pass. There's no way to not pass your time. There's no way to not use any energy. And money is what allows us to store up to use our energy for one thing to then be able to trade that money for the energy of somebody else or some other entity. At, at some other time, so it so it it really is like <laughs> stored energy. How it's I'm, I'm trying to make the same point that you are maybe using a few different words, but people get really caught up in saying, well, you you know you can't you can't turn money itself into energy unless unless you say that fuel is energy, but that's not the point. The point is that there are different entities in the world, people and companies that have energy to to give you at various times and you can use your energy now to earn money, which is the thing that will cause them to release their future energy to you. All right. That's, that's my best shot at adding to that. I hope it was helpful. All right. And did you have something else before we go move on here? Oh, well, I was just going to say, uh, back to those stats, you know, you had asked, like, wouldn't a newbie sound seem like that, you know, would be a big drop in the, in the hash rate. But when you look at it as closely as we do, I mean, you don't get worried about that because these, it's an estimate, but it, it varies quite a bit. Like in the time that it took for us to have that little recent conversation, it's already showing that it's, you know, like above 300, it's like 308 X hash per second. So then, you know, it's not down like 5% over the 24 hours, like down like 2.6, you know, so that number changes around. But as far as the, uh, as far as the, like, like the chain, like how is it handling, you know, the, the inscriptions attack, the ordinals attack. And I mean, you, it did get pretty hot there. There, there was several days where like the mempool was way above 300 megabyte default limit and, you know, things like that. And a lot of blocks, uh, uh, being held up and right now looking at timechaincalendar.com i can see it it shows you know we're at 99 megabytes of you know the 300 megabyte limit in the mempool you know cleaning it out and then down to uh showing about 24 blocks back uh which is a lot lower than it was and 
when you hop over to bitfeed.live, you can actually see that, uh, I mean, we're still seeing, you're still going to see these ordinals and stuff, uh, these inscriptions in the, in the blocks, but to me, at least going back several blocks, it's, it feels like a lot less. So it's safe. We're still safe. You know, what, what about these? What the, about the other these? thing is, Alex, is we're talking about just, an, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, an almost unimaginable number. I mean, I can't even comprehend what that number is. So 5% less of that number to me is still an, an unimaginably large number. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, is I just noticed everything we talk about in Bitcoin that is that is that is coming at Bitcoin or is that a change or, or somebody is doing, it's always an attack. Everything's an attack. It's an attack vector. We talk about it all the time. We talk about security. We talk about attack. We talk about all this crap. I just don't understand what the big deal is now that um, somebody in the U.S. government, uh, in the military, for example, is now talking. Up, I mean, we talk about it like that all the time. Why is it suddenly such a bad thing for somebody else to talk about uh, force of uh, or projection of power through Bitcoin? I mean, I just it's I not just, bad. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole it's the whole spook it's the whole spook thing. Than with handguns, to be honest with you. Now, to me, it's kind of like, I mean, there's a there's a point to discussing all of these things, but there's a certain segment of, of Bitcoin Twitter that gets really, like, hyperventilating over whatever they can hyperventilate over because they like to do that. <laughs> I don't think the actual thing or the actual specific argument matters that much. I think they just like to hyperventilate over stuff. And, you know, when they're jumping up and down and they're excited about it, they it's something they like to talk about. That's all. Welcome back, Puppy. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, a few technical difficulties there. Yeah, I, you know, these, I love all these. Uh... Oh, you're cutting out. <laughs> a few more technical difficulties. Puppy's probably deployed in some country in some shadowy area, and he stepped outside his skiff for three minutes, and he's smoking cigarettes furiously and jumping on Cafe Bitcoin before he goes back to work. Probably. Yeah, I agree, Alex, that there are a bunch of people that are, you know, uh, waiting around to get agitated about the latest thing, and they get all worked up, and, and it, it also is, it, it does exist here uh, in, in Bitcoin Twitter, at least. But there's also the, you know, to, to Peter's uh, statement, I mean, there is a, uh, a benefit and a, and kind of a, I don't know if ethos is the word, I, I can't get the right word, but I mean, we should have an adversarial stance, at least I should, I, I don't want to speak for you all. No, I agree with that. I 100%. feel that, you know, it, it should be literally everything, you know, I, I create a, a totally benign website to help me understand Bitcoin with time chain stats. I want that to be like, a t you know, people need to view it like, hey, is this an attack like what what is he doing like that's the stance and then some of it is nothing and you're like oh it's a nothing burger big deal some of it is really an attack that isn't evident in the beginning or you know up front and and we still don't really know who all of these actors are in this network it's not an it's not a like a overall benevolent like oh everybody's going to be friends and peachy and everybody's going to be like honest actors in the network like like we've talked about it in this space before many times that you know, there are evil people out there that are that are looking to to take advantage and scam of other opportunities over other people. And that's just the bottom line. Yeah, well said. And I agree with this 100 percent.
adversarial minded, I think is, is super important. It's not about being doomy and gloomy and fear mongering. It's about being aware of your threat environment, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. And thank you, Bitcoin Maxis, uh, Council of Autism and Magoo and all of the people that are smart, way smarter than me that point all this stuff out and, and, you know, use the Socratic method, talk about it, put it through the uh, crucible. Unfortunately, well, well, fortunately or unfortunately, oftentimes they are, they are right. So, um, you know, there's a lot of prognosticators in this, in this space um, and um, they deserve to be listened to. I think a lot of it's low hanging fruit. If I go back to the Linux debate, I say those group of people were far nastier than anything I've ever seen in Bitcoin by 10 Bitcoin's just the world kind of mimicking what it's a geek fight. That's what's going on. A giant fucking geek fight. We all have to witness it. <laughs> I wasn't there. Linux, Mono, good morning. I wasn't Linus there for would the tell Linux you to die fight. if you programmed something. He'd literally tell you to kill yourself. Really? And that was like what you had to go through. Oh, Lono has the dark history of the dark annuals of the web. <laughs> but that's okay, what it so they're going to let you contribute. Right? Like, if you're going to touch that code, if you're going to touch the kernel, God, you had to go through your rite of passage times a million, not what Bitcoiners had to go through. You literally <laughs> had to kind of be like, am I, am I doing this right? Like, it, it, was, it was a bit, yeah. And, you know, they removed him from it, which was sad. Like, I'm not saying it was appropriate, all right? But I'm saying you don't have to be a good human to produce good code. And that's like the underlying thing that we're fighting against censorship, all these things. I'm sorry, you can be the shittiest person in the world, but if you can produce a good tool, you should be allowed to develop and work on things, right? And we got to always push forward with that. Um, it's not about whether you're a good human or whether you're pleasant. It's do you produce something valuable for other humans? Done, period. Well, maybe that is one of the definitions of being a good person, but we digress. Hey, uh, speaking of threat vectors, I know you guys discussed this on Friday and uh, I wasn't on the show. However, I got two emails over the weekend and somebody DMing me, I probably got more by now, over this Wall Street article. Bitcoin's future depends upon a handful of mysterious coders and five maintainers determine the future of whether Bitcoin is going to survive or not. Can we spend just five minutes talking about that? Because I know there's a lot of people still freaking out about it. I think they confused Bitcoin with Ethereum in that article. Go ahead, Tomer. Yeah, I, I think what, what all of these people, what the mistake here is, is there are, so, there are only so many people who currently have commit rights to the code repository on GitHub. And so they, they presume that those people have control in the sense that they can re prevent code changes that they don't like or that they can make code changes that nobody else likes. And that and the mistake is in thinking that anyone has to run that code. Like they, you are not required to run that code if they make any changes to it. And this this is what we actually have history of in the block size wars, there was a movement to run nodes that had what was called a user activated soft fork. That was not code that was written by or released or approved by any of the maintainers of Bitcoin Core on GitHub. It was a fork 
that was released to the, in the wild that would in, require demand that miners signaled in favor of the activation of segregated witness by a certain block height. And it was and it was nothing that these people were involved in. It was what thousands of node runners chose to run. And that was what dealt an ultimatum to miners. And so the miners acquiesced and the miners ran the code. It's arguable which exact code they ran, but they ran perfectly compatible code. They began signaling in favor of activation of segregated witness prior to that mandated block height that was not part of Bitcoin core. And I think that's really the crucial insight that history shows that we can run whatever code we want because it's open source. We can fork it to whatever we want. Some people ran code that forked Bitcoin into something different and they stopped running what the consensus of Bitcoin was. So they began running an altcoin that was Bitcoin cash. But no, those people at the center couldn't prevent people from running Bitcoin cash. They couldn't prevent people from running Bitcoin core. They couldn't force people to run Bitcoin core as, as it was. And so this this is the mistake in the article. And you know, I feel like, again, I'm talking a little bit long, but you cannot be forced to run the code that these people have the right to commit to. And that's really all they have the right to do. The, the whole process of Bitcoin code getting upgraded is, is an open forum discussed over internet relay chat where anybody in the world can request a meeting, anybody can request a change, anybody can submit code. Lots of people comment on it. They say it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. But if you have something good that you want to actually change in Bitcoin and, and those five maintainers don't like it, you're not prevented from releasing it and trying to persuade everybody else in the world to run it. And in the case of the user-activated soft fork, as far-fetched as it seems, that actually did happen. And it was released by a pseudonymous coder on top of it all. So none of us know who it was. Oh, some people claim to. Do we know how long it took for Core to then integrate that update? No, they, they, never, already been... they never had to integrate it. So there was the segregated witness was released in Bitcoin Core with an ability to be activated before a certain block height. As long as 95% of blocks, so miners, within a two-week difficulty adjustment period signaled in favor of it. And so, and, and it was like a two-year activation period. I, I may have some of my details a little bit weak, inaccurate here, but it was, I think it was 95% threshold and, um, and a two-year activation window. And the problem was suddenly these miners were not signaling in favor of activating segregated witness. So what the users did was they said, if you don't signal in favor of activating segregated witness, we, we the users, will reject your block and you will not collect the, you will not collect the reward because we will not follow your chain unless this thing that defaults to zero is now set at one, saying you're in favor of it. And so the threat of doing that caused all the miners to signal in favor of segregated witness because they didn't want to lose their block reward. And so segregated witness activated according to the rules of Bitcoin Core. I'm happy to elaborate and explain that. That's probably the simplest the quickest definition I can give of what ended up happening. So the Bitcoin core did never copy the code from the user activated soft fork into itself. And, and when people upgraded after uh, the, the block size war, if they did, they ceased to signal for the user activated soft fork, which was an event that took past in the, that took place in the past anyways. So it was irrelevant. 
So you can have multiple pieces of code running that are compatible because they have the same consensus rules and the same actions taking place. Had, had miners not signaled in favor of segregated witness, there would be some blocks that might exist on some abandoned chain that were different. But by the time of the activation deadline of, of user-activated software, 100% of mine blocks were, being, were signaling in favor of segregated witness. And this was a user-led movement, not issued by any of the five developers or by Bitcoin Core or the GitHub repository itself. And you look at miners, why would they do this, right? Tomer, as a miner, you know why I'm going to, because if you tell me I'm not going to make money and you're the one constructing a mining pool and constructing blocks and you're doing stuff, well, you need money or suddenly you're on the hook for so much it's ridiculous and you die because people will move their miners off your pool almost immediately if they are not getting paid out or communicated with. So the incentives Wasn't are built into the system. Wasn't another factor, kind of a social factor, in that the proponents of Bitcoin Cash kind of started to fracture and their movement there was that, started but it looking was... pretty shaky? <laughs> well, but remember, it wasn't, it wasn't economically feasible from the beginning, right? Like, I guess they did. They made a lot of money in there first, but it was a, a draining process because it wasn't the longest chain, right? And eventually, one by one, well, we know the story now, and how it could get attacked, right? It, it wasn't secure. The incentives failed. Um, had they worked, it would be the longest chain. Well, it, it, it was a hard, so Bitcoin Cash itself was a hard fork. So it didn't matter whether it was the longest or not. It was going to be a separate chain. Um, and, um, and it was a last minute attack uh, that, came, that came. So there was originally this desire, uh, stop me if you don't want to hear the history of the fork work, but there was this desire to have a, the whole of Bitcoin pursue a hard fork to two megabyte block size limit, along with segregated witness. This became called Segwit 2X. And it was rejected by the users. The users refused to run that code. And, and so it looked like there would be no Segwit 2X um, and only Segwit. But at the last minute, Roger Ver and Jihan Wu, who ran Bitmore, Bitmain contracted a single developer to erase SegWit from, to make another fork, erase SegWit and make it a two megabyte block size. And, and they had a whole marketing campaign behind it and they, and they did something so that these two chains would be incompatible, that you couldn't, what, what was called replay a transaction. Like if you sent a transaction on Bitcoin, that it wouldn't work on Bitcoin cash and, and vice versa. So that they literally forked the chain and suddenly everyone who had a Bitcoin had a Bitcoin on Bitcoin and also a Bitcoin cash on Bitcoin cash. And, th and that, that ended up playing out in that, you know, to some degree that still plays out, even though a Bitcoin cash is worth 0.5% of what a, an actual Bitcoin is. And there's almost no activity on the chain, but it was, it was an exciting part of the war for a time, but that was a surprise move in the last weeks of this war when it looked like uh, Segwit2x was was finally dead because all of the miners were now beginning to signal in favor of Segwit and there was no expectation that Bitcoin, that Segwit2x, the miner and corporate supported fork of Bitcoin was going to take place. But okay. For historical hey, accuracy. Tom, can if you know the answer to this, do you know, like, what was the discussion or, or the reasoning behind 
um, giving like the the different uh, uh, weight units to different parts of the transaction? Well, I so the the notion was I, I, there was not like a full consensus on this. So it's not that there was a desire to increase block size amongst many people. There was there were some people who did not desire to increase block size. There was a desire to activate segregated witness to fix this malleability bug that existed so that the lightning network could be developed. And all these sorts of things got put together and ultimately a compromise was reached that there, there was a way to achieve through a soft fork an increase in the block size by using this notion of virtu virtual bytes. That while the one megabyte block size limit for transactions would remain, this new form of transaction called segregated witness, which moved the witness to another part that was not accounted for, uh, was was per was permitted. And because it was only signature data, that it could it could come at a discount to incentivize people to use this new transaction type, where it, whereas if you used a traditional um, transaction like those ones that start with one, those traditional uh, addresses, if you use those, you'd have to put your signature in the one megabyte limit. But if you were using the uh, segregated witness tr transaction addresses, you could put the signature portion of your transaction elsewhere. And the incentive would be, well, that's the extra space. And so we can offer that at a discount, at a 75% discount, because it's going to be 75% of the potential block space. So I think that was kind of the the rationale behind it. and. People were prepared to make the compromise to have a larger block size, and part, so part of the debate also, where there was misunderstanding, intentionally so, I think, on behalf of some versus others, was to say, well, you know, segregated witness is not a block size increase when, in fact, it was, and so those who were arguing for the hard fork, were at, were like the segwit two x would have been an eight megabyte block size limit because it was two plus four times two or two four times two. And the Bitcoin Cash people just said, oh, segregated witness is insecure, unreliable. Let's just two megabyte blocks with traditional addresses fixes everything. It was a very noisy time in terms of people being able to understand what was really true. But the signal did get through the noise. And and it was, again, the signal, the signal got through by the users, not those five core developers, and not by the miners, and not by the corporations, but by social media at the time, which was mostly Reddit. Also, right. Tom, in that time frame, we would go over August, September, October, kind of the, that year, you know, leading up to the fork wars, as they put them, and all of that. And just so everybody knows, if you go to within two, three months of that happening, all of these disgusting clones of Bitcoin come out from big gold to big diamonds. Humans start playing the math, start getting mad scammy in it. So when something like that happens on Bitcoin, you can bet your bottom dollar. There will be other people mimicking things like hell on it. People will get trapped in it and it'll take a lot of money from people. Um, Bitcoin gold was one of those. It had literally it was looting people's computers right from its initial wallet. Um, we had reports right from like day one on that one. So Whenever something like that happens too, I caution anyone watching, take a step back, let people play it out because um, things get confusing. They get really, really crazy. 
And I just don't think Bitcoin's gone through its last dance with challenging things and humans trying to manipulate stuff in that direction, right? So yeah, it, it never will. I mean, it, it's it's a system that's out in the open, so it's always under attack. And and even using the word attack is a big question mark word, right? Like, are ordinals and uh, inscriptions an attack, or are they a fair use, or are are they a little bit of both, or do, or are they simply something that is testing the strength and resilience of Bitcoin and demonstrating that it's resilient against something. And if it is resilient against it, it helps more people understand that something is not a credible attack against it. Yeah, hopefully my Probably. technical diff yeah. Can you guys hear me now? It's just a little better. Yeah, we are great. <laughs> You're good. You know, I, I love it. I mean, it's cool, you know, when you know you guys get down in the weeds and uh, TC, I think, you know, when TC is on us all the time, those guys get down in the weeds and all of this. Uh, my overarching view and why I love this community um, after after five years is it, it, it truly reminds me of sort of the the founding fathers of this country and th just everything is tested and argued. How are we gonna we're gonna create this new? Are country. you that what, old, puppy? Uh, pretty much, <laughs> but <laughs> everything, all the infighting, everything is for the good cause at the end. What are the best ideas? What are the ideas that won't work? What are short-term gains? What are long-term solutions? And yeah, because I came in right with the fork wars, no idea what the hell is going on. Um, I, I hear Bitcoin can't scale. You need Bitcoin cash. I didn't know what scaling was, you know, and to, it's one after the other. And it's like the whole thing. Now we're talking about these ordinals. And as as we were talking about the other day, like, look, it, if, if Ape JPEGs attached to Bitcoin brings it down, maybe it wasn't what we thought it was. All right. So bring everything you can. Bring everything you can to Bitcoin. The stuff that, that stays in sick by, by consensus through these years, that's the stuff that, that is making Bitcoin stronger, man. And uh, that's, that's, what, that's the brilliant part about this community is it, the people that show up day after day, you know, and when they're, when they're not on spaces or educating themselves with podcasts and books, they think about this stuff. They come back. We talk like this, man. I, just, man, I, I love this community. It's fucking exhausting. That's true too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, hit some announcements so we'll keep rolling here. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. We do talk about Bitcoin every single day live on Twitter Spaces. If you can't catch the live show, it is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Throw me your swan to follow. Be notified of when those drop. Thoughts and prayers for Turkey. 5 million displaced, 1 million homeless. If you want to donate to help, you can. There should be some links in the nest, both sets and you, and cash, cuck bucks, if you want to do that. I mean, I know you probably want to save your sets and donate your cuck bucks, but there's some people who were around in their early, early days, and they have a lot of sets. Okay, what else? Swan engineers built Bitcoiner jobs for the Bitcoiner community. Now they're back at it, doing it again. If you own a business... You are a professional such as a CPA, attorney, you have a law firm, uh, you have a tax consultancy, maybe you're a tradesman, maybe you have a business. I'm talking a legit business. I'm not talking about like Anons with like, hey, uh, I mean, we're going to hopefully have something for the Anons at some point. But like, if you're helping people learn about Bitcoin, self-custody, security, all that kind of stuff, and you want to have a place to post your business and services. Bitcoiners hiring Bitcoiners. We're doing that. Shoot me damn. We'll give you early access to the site so you can check it out. 
maybe put your listing on there. Once we reach a, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word? A specific mass of, of things on there, we'll turn it on critical, public. Critical mass. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. God damn it. I'm so glad I had these smart people around me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Swan is, these guys just laugh at me, I'm sure, all the time. I'm like, oh, God, Alex is stumbling over his words again. Here we go. Swan is sponsoring the Toxic Happy Hour Pleb Party, Miami, May 18th. The link is in the nest. This is going to be fantastic. Uh, I went to the one at Pacific Bitcoin. It was it was the place to be. It was like, I mean, it was, everybody was there. The place was absolutely packed. The music was pumping. So much energy. Like, it, you couldn't walk two feet without bumping into a Bitcoin or you know. Uh, and it was just it was just an unbelievable, awesome time. Puppy, do you have, do you have any comments you want to make on it? Oh, oh yeah, uh, like I say, we started out just thinking be, you know, some some of the the plugs that hang out on Toxic Happy Hour that would show up, but no, man, it's everyone, people we've had on the show. Uh, what started we thought was going to be twenty or thirty ended up with over four hundred signups. Uh, so this we said, you know what, let's let's try this in Miami. Let's go for it with Bitcoin. Um, yeah, and thanks to Corey and Swan that you know they decided to come on as our main sponsor. We got this. It, it's an amazing rooftop location, man. Uh, right there in South Beach, it's like literally a half a mile from where the conference is. So is there a limit there, to? Is there going to be a limit to how many people can go? So we're putting a limit in honor of American Hoddle at six fifteen. <laughs> but why six we'll fifteen? What does this mean? No, okay, actually, don't do it. Don't go into that. Uh, <laughs> it's, but you know what's fantastic, man? It's not. It's not only the plugs, but we also put out. You know, hey, you, you want to join us? To friends that have always supported us. Okay, I'm talking to and many here. And I and they said, yeah, man, let, let them know, because guess what, man? Our, our main man, BTC Sessions, is, is showing up. Jeff Booth, Greg Foss, a lot of macro guys, Lawrence Lepard, and even Gary Leland. So there's just five there. They're coming by, man. So, yeah, get get a ticket jump, because they like to, they like to hang out with the plebs, too, man. Ask them any, anything. It's, it's going to be a, a, a fantastic time. It's so cool. In what world did any of us think that macroeconomic gurus were going to be like the superstars? No, no, don't do it. No, I don't like this. No, it just no, let's do it. <laughs> it just depends upon you know, like didn't like who's that guy? Um, Talib, Talib, Dean Talib. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you know. I mean, there's this whole circuit of like you know groupies that hang around with with macroeconomic specialists. I mean, it's just I'm a macro groupie. Oh my god, macro groupies, right? (laughs) Oh my god. But I mean, it just gives you part of Magoo's macro group. No, (laughs) but but it just gives you like an idea of you know that that people are waking up. They're realizing that you know. They're the where they're storing their value, what they're using as money, is they're waking up to this idea that this is important and they can't just trust what somebody else is necessarily saying. And it, it's causing this it's really causing this move towards um, you know, knowledge and and verifying instead of trusting. And this is where the the Bitcoin uh, ethos, the Bitcoin community, and Bitcoin itself excels and well, the, dominates and will just completely change the way things work in the world. 
the 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 reason that the the macro <laughs> macro groupies has even become a thing is because like for the last like what 50 years macro hasn't really mattered because of the the fiat system like you've been able to like just cheat the system and get around paying attention to the long like the the big picture because you can just basically do whatever the hell you want and now we're getting to the point where because like a lot of a lot of the the health ramifications and fitness ramifications is a great example of like people thought that you didn't have to pay it you didn't have to pay attention to like your your lifestyle choices and now we're getting to the point of where public health is getting to this like convection point or not convection point but um really like shifting momentum to the point of where oh people are like oh shit like we do have to pay attention to the big picture stuff like is like i you have to pay attention to your health you have to pay attention to your nutrition you have to pay attention to what the economic trends are or what they were and what they're what's happening now because like going through all this like you know the whole it's really cringy and kind of makes me want to throw up in my mouth but like the whole peter zihan deglobalization stuff like now that now that people are realizing the momentum is shifting like they're like oh damn it we do have to pay attention to all this stuff so that's why the groupies are like coming back like i mean it makes sense to me you know lady get leg day yeah oh yeah superstars used to be um people like warren buffett warren buffett used to be one of these one of these individuals that would walk around with just crowds of people around him. And I think to, to your point, Mike, it was this, this fiat mentality that is now starting to, to break down as, as the, the world reserve currency is starting to see cracks. Well, well, P- Peter, it wasn't like, like Buffett's a good example, but like the real first principles thinkers like Albert Einstein, the scientists, they used to be superstars, but that, that was back in the forties. And then like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to like pontificate on what. No, no, you're exactly that. correct. And, and wall street, the movie wall street, I think epitomizes it, you know, greed is good. And you get these God Kings of greed and people just naturally gravitate towards what's easy. Um, you know, and uh, that's what I, I grew up in that era. I mean, that's what that's what was easy, and that's what we did, and that's how you thought. It was always about okay, how am I going to be able to become one of these uh, titans of of industry, these god kings who have their houses on, uh, you know, up in Martha's Vineyard and fly helicopters there and and talk on brick phones and all this, all the you know, and ride in. Isn't it? Mailbox. Isn't it fascinating though? This is an interesting like psychological marker to me. You know, you've got Munger on their uh, on mainstream media, basically. So <laughs> there was a really good question asked of him on live television, and the question was, "Well, you know, you have to be able to present the enemy's arguments." I'm paraphrasing. He's the one who said that. I, I know. That. I know. That's why it was so powerful, right? Because she stumped the fuck out of him. He stopped and he thought about it for me. He's like, "Shit, well, I don't fucking know." <laughs> and then and then you've got Kernan, who's like, this dude hasn't even read the first page of the Bitcoin standard. So this, to me, is an, is an important marker culturally, because you've got people on mainstream television challenging Munger about Bitcoin. And he doesn't have a fucking good answer. Not only challenging Munger about Bitcoin, but quoting things like the Bitcoin standard, right? The, the the real the, the the whole point here that I kind of like was touching on is that like and Peter actually was getting to it is that 
easy living conditions incentivize people to seek out the easy solutions, right? Like, but when when life gets difficult, then you can't afford to take the easy rate, right, the easy road out. Like, you have to really go back to first principles thought, like the scientists and the macro people do, of looking more for efficiency gains and just ROI on effort. Like, and that's that's not the easy way out, right? That's usually the most difficult. And the, and the Hobart way is to never ever skip leg day. Yeah, don't skip leg day. Probably hit legs twice a week. I like we're talking about the, um, you know, the, the the macro macro guys now becoming, you know, having groupies and all of this. But you know, I, I'll pause it and it, that it's these macro guys that actually really I forget who the lady was, but she was like, really, people shouldn't know about this term called fiat. They shouldn't. They don't understand fiat. Well, guess what? It's it's because I'm a Bitcoiner understood what the true nature of fiat currency is. And I, I you know, I applaud everyone here that really uh, almost memed it into existence and how worthless it, it really is that has made the, the, these national uh, level news organizations talking about fiat, what it means, how it's tied to nothing. Because I can tell you probably half, half the country still thinks we're on a gold standard and it has value. So I, you know, look, give the macro guys credit, the ones that, that came up let me put it this way: the macro guys that call out the system for what it is, most of them are still involved with the system and won't call it out. But yeah, man, I, it's been a it's been a fantastic ride just just watching people. And I even have friends that have finally understood. Wait, what do you mean we we can just keep printing and there's nothing behind it? Yeah, that's that's basically what it means. I feel like I feel like we're starting to reach this inflection point where where in professional circles there's going to be a cost associated with not doing the due diligence on Bitcoin. It, it, there's going to come a time where there are going to be professionals who will pay a price for just poo-pooing Bitcoin instead of doing the due diligence. And I think, I don't know when that time's going to arrive, but it's coming. Well, look at, look at just MicroStrategy, okay? Or look at El Salvador. Okay, that we can agree, both probably the, the first in their area, corporation or, or country, to get in on Bitcoin. And yeah, there's going to be a cost for every every company that Sailor has an advantage of. You know, just the, the basic math, if there was no, none of us that had Bitcoin, if you just divided the 21 million over 195 countries, say you had a, just a fair, equitable start, you're looking at 105,000 Bitcoin per country. So you've got a guy like, like Sailor, with a hundred and what thirty now, hundred and forty thousand, he has more than a, than a, than a country would. So yeah, that's the cost opportunity. Is how far it, the, at a, of an advantage they have, and even El Salvador. Who do you think is going to be the leading country in that region? Everyone else is so far behind them right now. It's going to be inter interesting because you guys are talking about the 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 soft war, the that power plays coming up at that time. Yeah, you. If you're looking, if you're looking at what two, three million per coin in a couple of years, uh, yeah, they're they're going to be able to control regions, control militaries. It, yeah, the 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 thought process here, man, is just insane. All right. Now that we have just a moment of a pause, just real quick, uh, coming up tomorrow, Voltage Cloud. And then Wednesday is going to be Nate Hawaii. Thursday is going to be macro strategy again with Greg Foss, James Lavish, uh, Jeff Ross, Lawrence Lepard.
Friday is going to be standard every every Friday. Swan private macro. Looking forward to all these. Okay, there's a there's a really uh, moronic bill. Let's shift shift gears here for a second. In Illinois, Senator Robert Peters has just submitted a bill on the 9th of February. And in this bill, should it be passed, it basically, the idea is uh, it's going to require minors and validators to reverse transactions if ordered to do so by a state court. This thing is called the Digital Property Protection and Law Enforcement Act. The bill would allow courts to order a blockchain transaction executed via a smart contract to be altered or rescinded if the attorney general or the state attorney makes such a request. We are, uh, we are so early. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about when I say there's going to be a cost to people's reputation, to their, I mean, it's just unbelievable how ignorant some of this stuff is. I think the cost is actually already here. I think I think people are already like we're already at that moment where these kinds of like foolish decision makings and failings and uh, critical thinking are actually to the point of where it is costing people. Um, but the bill won't come due probably next until next year or even a few years down the road. Like they're they're paying the price for their actions already. They just don't realize it. Well, I mean, look at look at the 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 uh, <laughs> what they're trying to do for enforcement. This is what they want as a penalty. Okay, if minors slash validators fail to comply with the court orders, they're going to face fines ranging from five thousand to ten thousand dollars a day. And it's it's just so I don't even know how to wrap my mind around how moronic this is. It'd be like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an analogy of, of how stupid this is. It'd be like um, just asking something to do something literally impossible, and if they can't do it, you're going to fine them five or $10,000 a day. You know what I mean? It's like the judge says, okay, well, you're guilty of this thing. I want you to start levitating right now, and if you can't do it, $10,000 a day, go. What, what happens when, when mining becomes completely decentralized and people are using you know, miners in their homes to heat water and all the things that, that we talk about. I mean, who, who are you going to turn to, to, and isn't that just going to drive mining to become more decentralized? If something well, like that even, passes. Like, like Peter, even to the, like going even further along that, that th point of thought was like the oil and gas guys that are using mining to improve their production efficiency. Like, were they going to try and like find them? They're like, okay, you don't want more oil. Fine. We just won't do it. Like, <laughs> there's the people that are paying attention should I would hopefully be making the realization that these politicians literally know nothing about anything that they're writing these bills for and that's that's just a, like a, a testament to like the the poor decision making and the poor understanding that like the general populace has when they're making these decisions to vote these people into power and and the gatekeepers of of the legacy financial system, right? So I'm talking yeah. to this guy. I'm not I'm not going to dox him. I'm not going to say who he is, but I will just say that this guy talks to family offices, trust companies, lawyers representing very wealthy people, 
private banks in the Cayman ecosystem, right? $1.4 trillion of wealth management industry, right? And he's saying, hey, you guys should come down here and, and talk to these people. This guy's a Bitcoiner. He's like, I talk to them all the time because of the job that I have. I'm not going to say what he does. But he's like, none of them know anything about Bitcoin. Nothing. They're managing $1.4 trillion of wealth, and they don't know anything about Bitcoin. It's just I bet they don't know anything about the U.S. dollar, Alex. I would go as far as they don't understand how the U.S. dollar actually operates. Possibly. I, mean, I would do they go need so to far know? as to say that, that they've had no need or necessity up to this point because of the way the fiat system is, as you were alluding to earlier, Mike. It incentivizes doing things the easiest way possible, and it is not – let's face it. Everybody in this room that has done a bunch of work on Bitcoin, it is not easy. It takes a lot of time. It takes deep thought. Um, it takes a lot for me. It's taken a huge amount of questions and having people like TC, I see your hand up, uh, you know, beat my, beat my head with a two by four. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, there's no incentive to, well, there, there hasn't been any incentive to do the work and that obviously is changing. TC, good morning. My favorite, one of my favorite shadowy super coders. Oh, knock it off. Um, so the, the, there's that's been a steady stream of these kind of things where um, lawmakers um, are putting forth uh, ideas about new rules that are simply unenforceable. Uh, it brings to mind the, um, I think it was Nunchuck up in Canada when they were trying to crack down and, uh, you know, um, try to go after protesters and then they went to i think it was nunchuck somebody correct me if i'm wrong but they they basically said we need you to hand over all the information about um you know people who've used your service and nunchuck responded with a pretty sharp snappy uh comeback about how they that's just simply not possible but you you do see this in like the stuff elizabeth warren has proposed uh where they they want to you know do kyc on things that are just not possible to do kyc on um, and, and so to me, this all comes back to, uh, like you guys have been saying, a, a, a misunderstanding about how Bitcoin works. But, you know, to your earlier question, Alex, about um, that Wall Street Journal article where they point out, oh, you know, this whole thing hinges on six people. I think you see that kind of FUD as kind of a way of preemptively trying to strengthen the arguments that have no basis because they're impossible to enforce or they completely misunderstand how Bitcoin works. So you see a couple different things happening here. You see like the media trying to paint a picture that's inaccurate and false, but supports some of these lawmakers intentions to try to, you know, bring the hammer down. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to me. We all know that that rule wouldn't be enforceable but it doesn't mean that they can't actually put it into law and that they wouldn't have, you know, some support from, you know, normies that watch mainstream media and get all bent out of shape by those kinds of, you know, FUD framings. Can, yeah. can we start saying some media? Because there is some media. I'm going to throw Joe Kernan and, and Becky Quick uh, a, uh, a little bone who are actually starting to 
to to to question some of this media fud. Do, do you guys think Becky Quick is a Bitcoiner? Does she own Bitcoin? I don't know if she owns Bitcoin. She probably does because there's so much that those reporters can't own. She probably does own some Bitcoin. She sits and talks with Joe Kernan all the time. Um, but I, so I don't know that she owns Bitcoin, but I do know that I, I, I've watched her for 20 years, I think. Easy, maybe 50, however long she's been on, I've watched her. And I'm telling you, she's the way she talks about things when you when you when you get to know somebody through that through that visage right you you start to pick up small things that they do she is very critical of the bitcoin fud and that is a message i think in a signal in and of itself and to be to be completely fair whether she owns it or not shouldn't matter like <clears throat> the like the fact what what Peter's bringing up the fact that like they're questioning all the like kind of headlines and fud campaigns that everybody else is just laughing up like a bunch of freaking puppies at the like their mom's teeth like it's just like the like the the value of these kinds of people just like like hey like maybe we should you know not tote the mob flag and like start asking some serious questions and actually doing our journalistic job like those like. I don't care whether she has Bitcoin or not. She's doing her job while everybody else is not. You know, one more thought is that um, there's a silver lining here, which is if they actually pass laws like this that are just flat out ignorant and unenforceable, it's going to result in an acceleration of people um, learning about Bitcoin as yes. they run into the brick wall of reality. So yes. um, there, there's a potential Streisand effect here, um, which is another reason that I think you know, as long as, you know, we, we understand what's, what the real dynamics are at play, um, they can say, do whatever they, they, they want to do. There, there's going to be consequences when it comes to um, them not being able to enforce those things and a whole bunch more people realizing sooner than they would have otherwise. Oh, wait a minute. The government can't actually do that? Wait, how does this work? You know, what's interesting about that is they can lie about it, but people over time start to figure this kind of stuff out. Like I'm, I'm reminded of the, the trucker protest in Canada, right? When they, when they, <laughs> when they went after all the truckers and they start confiscating funds. The reason I was laughing is, is that I was reminded of when they were like, yeah, we froze all these Bitcoin addresses. And I'm thinking to myself, that yeah, is a flat did. out lie. That's literally impossible. You can't freeze Bitcoin addresses. Like, what the fuck? And they went on TV and said that. You know, another thing that this is going to follow up with what TC is saying, another thing that's going to happen is um, people are going to, and entities are going to end up taking this into courts. And hopefully, so one of the bad things about our court system is that sometimes bad arguments and bad fact patterns create bad opinions and bad decisions. Um, and it's unfortunate because sometimes those are brought forward, but hopefully because uh, the Bitcoiner community is so full of such incredibly smart people, hopefully um, we, will, we as Bitcoiners will be able to see some of these things going forward in the courts that are fact patterns and arguments that are rather irrefutable, um, that, that do not open the door to bad decisions. And hopefully we get some good decisions on, based on these things as well.
I think irrefutable is 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 one thing, and I think we've already got the irrefutable arguments. The the issue is that you you've got all these politicians out there. We've already named all of them. Uh, is the the ability to spin and make the public believe something that's just not true, and we have to continue to beat the message up against the wall until uh, they have to just look like fools in the process. And I'm glad you brought that up because earlier we were talking about this uh, thing where, you know, the five shadowy super counters <laughs> who maintain Bitcoin core determine the future of whether Bitcoin will survive or not. <laughs> and what it got me thinking about is, is that there's this particular attack vector that I think people subconsciously worry about. And that is obviously the compromise of human beings because it's been proven lately that mass psyops actually do work like you know the who is that dude um something harari who is like the egghead for the wef is basically saying we have determined um basically how to mind control humans and he's talking about you know obviously using social media and tech, big tech and all that other kind of stuff to push out certain types of information on repeat and on blast and it gets a certain amount of the human population compromised because they really believe this shit. Like they really, like genuinely, they they embrace it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And uh, I think the issue with that becomes in the back of people's minds, well, can't that happen in Bitcoin? And when Tomer says, well, it's about consensus, I think about who's actually doing the consensus. And that is, well, Bitcoiners, well, what's the difference between Bitcoiners and all these other people who are subject to this mind control psyop shit? <laughs> if you look around, like Bitcoiners are the most, in my, this is just my opinion. Bitcoiners are some of the most critically thinking, non-bullshit believing, question everything people on the entire planet. You know, two of the, Two of the really good examples of what Nate, I think, is talking about, um, you know, as far as is William William Jennings Bryan and um, or Brian, excuse me, William Jennings Bryan and um, McCarthy. These were people who were were um, you know steadfast, very vocal about their positions, and basically ended up looking like the fools. By the way, you gotta watch the episode of Drunk History where they cover that uh, that whole William Jennings Bryan thing. Yeah, just real quick, you know, Alex, you brought up and and um, you know, BJ's always a good friend of the shows there um, from the from the Canadian truckers, and this was still astounding to me uh, that that people are not waking up yet uh, of what happened there with with the the total um, ter you know. Financial tyranny uh, shown, going after everyone's bank accounts, going after family members of people, <laughs> going after restaurants that happen to serve coffee and a donut to a trucker. It's insane to me. And then you have who's the, the deputy prime minister, uh, Christia Freeland, you know, coming out and basically saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, after the Emergencies Act, we 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 found out, yeah, basically freezing bank accounts was a powerful tool." to discourage participation and incentivizing protesters to leave. If that doesn't scare the hell out of anybody, I, I don't know what else to tell you um, as far as what Bitcoin represents to the world and, and 
your 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 Western, well, we always saw it, constitutional right to peacefully uh, protest. Yeah, weren't they framing yeah. it as? Oh, sorry, just just <laughs> about that clip, real quick, Pubby. Um, she she said basically like that was a, a, a nonviolent approach to stopping the what did they call it the protest crisis or something they they had a way of phrasing it but um yeah that is very scary that they were saying that sorry go ahead tell me yeah i was just gonna say it's um to alex's original point which was bitcoiners are i guess truth seekers it's uh it's really really hard uh, where to confront a lot of these facts First of all, it's hard to know what's true in this world because it's hard to there's all sorts of sources who we've lost trust in and and we now ask why have we trusted them in the first place? But then the meth, you know, and then there's people who say the exact opposite, which doesn't necessarily make it true. Right? Like it could be true that the vaccines didn't help, but also aren't going to kill you on the spot, right? It, like there's there's a whole spectrum of possibilities there or that they weren't very helpful and that they shouldn't have been enforced like so there's this whole sp and so finding signal in the noise is re is really really hard how to find out what's true but then there's also just when you find out the things that you believe that were very comforting aren't necessarily true or aren't, aren't even remotely true there's a shock to your system that you have to process it's not always so easy to accepted and it's more difficult for some people than others where some truths are are really really difficult for certain for certain people to digest for whether it's because their incentives are are pointed in the other direction or just so much of their life has been lived and so much of their comfort comes from believing in one particular statement which now turns out to not be a truth mm -hmm. so i think that there's I, I, there's a number of different things there's the courage required and it can be very, very difficult. Like I'm sure every one of us, I know I do, have some truths that are really, really difficult to confront that we'd rather just not. And those are, those are challenging. They, they may be financial, they may not be. And then there are, and then there's coming to terms with the truth and what it means, because you have to reshape your whole universe around what, what you believe to be true. And that's hard. And so part of this is just saying, there needs to be an understanding, maybe some kind of sympathy for people who are struggling to find the truth. And there needs to be, um, I think, support for everyone who's trying to come around to accepting truths that they didn't appreciate before, uh, that they didn't know were true before. Because it's not that e it's not as easy as, well, here's the new truth, now deal with it. It can be really, really difficult for some people. It can be life upending and can be a whole journey that begins with just revealing, peeling back one small truth and then oh, you start pulling at that thread and you find a lot of stuff is true that you didn't think was and a lot of stuff isn't true that you did think was so th there's a whole journey that i think the whole human race is on right now and bitcoin's clearly a part of it bitcoin says that a whole bunch of stuff that you thought was true wasn't what you thought was money wasn't well I, 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 you bring up such an excellent point is there's some harsh truths we have to um, finally admit to ourselves. And it is more difficult, uh, to be quite honest with you, it, when you grow up as an American, okay, hey, guess what? We saved the world in World War II, that type of, of conditioning we've always learned. When you had parents that served in Vietnam, World War II, World War I for that matter, and you're brought up under this um, American excellence, 
America, that, that shining beacon on the hill. And what I've seen in the last three years has undermined so much of that. And I don't know if this is because this is part of the, the end game, but I've never seen uh, or been as disheartened as from all communities involved, not only from politicians, but the medical community, universities and academia. You go down the list, you go down the list, okay? The ones that you always thought were protecting you and were going to um, help you along in life and, and, and would be there are the ones that really abandon people in my mind. The, the, the media, God, if we can't, you can't trust, the media used to be there to guess what? <laughs> you would call out the politicians, you would call out medical scams. You would call this out. You don't see it, man. It, I've never seen, and this isn't just me. I know from friends, like, what the hell is going on? I've never seen such a loss of faith in all the institutions we are raised in. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's, a, a, it's a very it's bitter a, pill to swallow. And, and I think many of us get challenged. Uh, look, I'm, I'm far from standing up here and saying I'm perfect. So please, when you hear this, this isn't me saying I'm right, you're wrong to anybody. It's like I know this speaking from being personally fallible too. When you're confronted with a terrifying truth or the alternative to just say what's convenient, it can be very hard to stand for truth. Like I used to work back when it was a big industry and where it was the authority. I used to work for Canada's largest newspaper when newspapers met, stood for something. And when the economy was great and newspapers were thriving, the courage of the media to call out bullshit was right there, right? Like we'll we'll criticize Ford even if they threaten to span advertising and they're our second largest advertiser. We had that courage. But when the industry started to collapse, so did the courage of the of the reporters and wow, that's a was, fascinating insight. I had never know, thought about that. They're all sub. They're all subsidized by Trudeau now. All the newspapers and and media, and guess what? Guess who they don't criticize with the same uh, veracity that they might have criticized. You know, <laughs> they they used to have the courage to write a scathing review of the Ford Taurus or something, right? Like maybe it wasn't as courageous as we thought it it really was, but they were prepared to conf you know they were prepared to write bad movie reviews and have the move the film companies boycott us but there was such abundance that we could afford it and then and then the business got tight and people got scared and and i mean i saw this I, that's the closest big picture example i can see but i i saw people doing it for their jobs as an executive you know where it was inconvenient to tell the truth about how the internet was disrupting the business some of the people in the accounting department wouldn't exactly portray they wouldn't commit accounting fraud but they wouldn't stand up and say yeah it costs nothing to send a message every, to everyone in the world over the internet and for us to send a newspaper to 100,000 households in the city requires a plant and trucks and paper and gas and all this stuff and so we're about a trillion times as inefficient as the internet and that means we don't stand a chance people just wouldn't run those types of analyses they they wouldn't they wouldn't confront them because it meant it meant accepting a very very uncomfortable truth, and and the the you know these come in the form of moral things. They come in the form of industrial things. They just come in a lot, and they come in the way of personal things, you know, personal relationships, and and anyhow, it's deep. So I'll just pause there myself there. All right, I'm gonna let Peter. I'm gonna let you go in one second. I just want to say one thing. I am so thankful for the people who come on this show and hang out and 
and talk about these things. I have learned so much over the last year and I guess how long has it been? Maybe year and a couple of months, whatever it is. I'm just very thankful for all you guys. It's been awesome. Tomer, you have been awesome. Like all, all of you have been awesome. I've learned a lot from Tomer though. I'm glad you're here every day, Tomer, just about every day. Go ahead, Peter. Okay, I feel really awesome now. Thank you. Um, anyways, um, I, so there's been a huge pendulum swing. Um, I'm old enough to remember things like the Pentagon Papers, Watergate. Um, I kind of remember Watergate. I mean, I was, I, was, I was pretty young then, but I still remember it. So there was this swing away from, away from the government telling us what was, what was good and what we could do and what Mike was talking about um, or, or Tubby was talking about earlier. Um, about, you know, this ethos of, of America is, you know, the, the, the savior of the world. And people really began to question these things, um, especially in the 70s. And, you know, they questioned the CIA. They questioned all this crap. And there was a lot of, there was this pendulum swing towards this idea of we need to protect our civil rights. We need to protect freedoms. And, you know, I served in the military from 1983 to 1989. And that was a time when, there was a lot of people, and I was one of them. I really thought that nuclear holocaust was something that was real. It was not just this idea of, oh, well, maybe something happens. It was it was very real at the time, and it was a scary thing. And I'll say this. Um, I've said it before on this show. I'll say it again. If in, you know, 1989 was a big year when the wall came down. I mean, that was a big deal. That was the end of the Cold War. It was an amazing time. Um but if you had told me in 1988 that the Patriot Act had been uh, enacted in 2001, I would have told you that the Soviets had won the Cold War. I think that this pendulum swing in the other direction was codified and accelerated by the Patriot Act. It is probably one of the worst things that has ever happened for civil rights and freedom of the individual in the United States. Um, and I think we are seeing now, um, you know, as, 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 uh, Mike said earlier, you know, it takes a long time for the effects of these things to work their way through our societies and through the system. I think we are really starting to see the end result, um, of, of the, of the Patriot Act and Pubby, to your point, I think that we are seeing it in the dust, the, the, the docile nature of the American people and their willingness to just take whatever is coming at them from the government. We've just been so beat down. Our rights have been, have been so, um, um, what's the word I want? They've been, they've been, um, attacked and they, they've been, they've been taken away from us. You know, they've just been over the last 20 years in particular, but certainly over the last 40 years, our civil rights have just been eroded. That's the word I'm looking for. They've been eroded. It's not just that. To me, there's been an attack. There's been an attack on 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 what I call men of integrity standing the fuck up and doing what's right. And this Bitcoin, is just my opinion. And but, Bitcoin solves this because Bitcoin allows us to take control of our of our money, of our energy, of our time, and it's unconfiscatable. It's uncensor. It's uncensorable. It's censorship resistant. These things are important concepts for people who want to live a free life. Well, see, the reason those two things are tied together, what I was getting at is that 
you know, this, this concept of toxic masculinity, this concept of you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about religion, don't ever take a leadership role and talk about what's important in life, God forbid. Like, you shouldn't say those things. And then what happens is that there are people in the world who aren't going to shut up and they're going to move their agenda forward. So what is the net result of that? Well, they've conditioned you to believe you're being polite when in reality you're being a weakling. You are, you are, you are basically, you're, you're forfeiting your place as a leader in the world to say what's right and to fight for what's right. And the reason those two things are interlinked is, is that your provenance, your way of, of paying for the things in your life, where it comes from is incredibly important. When those things are um, distorted and mutated and debauched, like the signal, the money, like you don't freaking know what anything's worth. And, and then there's people who accumulate tremendous amounts of wealth and power because they sit in privileged positions and the Cantalot effect amplifies their power. Like it, it is just this system of conditioning that, that causes people to, to just like back up and do nothing. And I'm personally, I'm tired of it. You guys have been hearing me say this for over a year on this show. Stand the fuck up. Do what's right. It's cool to be up here with two other well there's three of us now other other vets that um you know for their own calling serve their country all right right or wrong you you want what's best for our country you know i was gonna just ask you real quick what's interesting is that you know i find most fascinating is the, the shift of from the late 60s and you know call them hippies or whatever but the left the left were the ones that were raising the flag about this military um, industrial complex, um, your diet, organic eating, um, the the problems with you know forced vaccination, but isn't it amazing? In our lifetime, we saw the shift. Now, it seems that the left is for forced vaccination and big pharma that they warned against, and is now the the bitcoiners and conservatives that are asking these hard questions. All right, let's not get into the political side of things. I want to welcome up Dredd. He is our guest speaker today. We're already eight minutes into his time. Thanks for being patient, man. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning, Alex. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here, and it was a great conversation up to this point, so I'm happy to hear you guys riff on some more stuff today. Right on. All right, so for those of you who don't know Dredd, he's an OG Bitcoiner. Digital Nomad, host of the podcast, One Love Bitcoin. I'm just going to read one of his tweets so you get a feel for who this dude is. Lebanon, Nigeria, Argentina, as many as 42 countries are on the verge of economic collapse. Keep building, Anon. For those who don't know you, say a couple things about like what you do and why you do it. And then, uh, you know, we can have whatever you want. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, that too kind of summed it up pretty, pretty nicely. Uh, I've been traveling for the majority of my life, um, originally from Jamaica, but I've traveled for consulting work, I've traveled for professional sports, and now I've been traveling for education in, in um, the Bitcoin spaces, like communities that are building up around the world. Um, I was at the beginning of the El Salvador push before they went. Um, completely legal tender, 
uh, and I've been, you know, hopping and skipping and jumping to each community that's been building up, you know, everything from Guatemala all the way over to, to um, communities in Ghana and around Africa that are being built up. So um, my goal, I guess, is really to take what I've learned. And this is kind of what every Bitcoin goal is, right? It's like you learn this paradigm changing event that's already happened like over 10 years ago and society is just catching up. Like the, as the asymmetry of information is deep and we realize that it also can be um, damaging um, to people that we love and care about. So, you know, just like every other Bitcoin, my goal is to continue to, to shave down that, that steep learning curve that people have to just basically use the technology that can help them. And from there, you know, <laughs> just try to live a good life. I, I used to start off by, by thinking that I needed to spend all my energy saving everyone I can and by giving them the information that they need to, to use this tool. But now I've realized that it's really more about, and this is kind of the way Bitcoin works, it's really more about making my own life better, like having Bitcoin change me, making my own life better, and me running my own node, being my own sovereign individual is going to perpetuate similar to how it does with Bitcoin, with the Bitcoin network, or with mycelium, or with anything else that we've used as an analogy before. And that's why I'm now, that's what I'm doing now. I don't know if that was a rambling big intro, but <laughs> that's, that's where I am. It's all good, man. Let's just open it up. I'd like this to be just kind of like a easy group convo. Anybody who wants to talk about anything, Astrid, anything. Yeah, man. And you guys can ask me about, you know, all the different places I've been and the difference between these places and America. Because I know this is a very, well, Bitcoin in general, in terms of the communities are very American-centric in U.S.-speaking groups. And there's a lot of divide that we find within these groups that you don't find outside of um, American communities. So it would be good to hear people's questions. It would be good to hear, you know, your opinions on on how you see the American communities building Bitcoin versus the, the African, the Chinese, the South American, Latin American, the European communities, they all have the differences, you know, and their similarities too. I have a question for you and then we'll go with Surfer Jim. By the way, if you're in the audience and you have a question, you want to come up, go ahead and request to come up. We'll ring you up. We'll be kind, I promise. You can also ask a question in our Telegram group, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. So my question to you, Dredd, is like, going around the world, seeing what you see. It's been my experience that people who grow up in America, for example, and never leave America, they don't really understand what the world is all about, in my opinion. Like, it's like growing up in, in Disneyland and you never leave Disneyland. So you don't actually know that there are human beings who live in homes constructed of corrugated tin who are have one light bulb and they're stealing the electricity from their neighbor and their floor is actually dirt. Like there are people who live like this. So my question to you dread is like, what is the most concerning thing that you see as it relates to Bitcoin in your travels? And what is the most hopeful thing you see? Yeah, good question. Um, first I'll have to agree with you by saying there are people in America that haven't seen enough travel or haven't seen in, enough different things to have a comparative view. You know, it's like having a measuring stick but have nothing to measure it against. 
And that's not just America. I think almost every country that has a group of people, whether it's a community or even the individual that hasn't traveled to another place, then they have nothing to compare against, they have nothing to measure against, and that narrows their worldview and narrows the opinions that they can make and the deductions that they can make. I think it's super important for everyone at a bare minimum, if they can, to leave their state, you know, go and spend a couple of weeks or if you can't even live for a short amount of time in a different state. And the next step would be to go live for a short amount of time in a different country. And just the, just the fact of being there and seeing the everyday activities that take place can drastically change someone's point of view. And the younger they do it, of course, the better, because then they have less preconceived notions. But I've noticed that is a drastic difference between people that I grew, grew up around that were living in one place for their entire life and people that grew up around that at least had two, two different places that they lived in. So, um, yeah, so it's not just an American phenomenon there, but I, um, to answer your question, the most concerning thing to me is the disconnect between the di disconnect among communities, because um, I, I realize that a lot of communities are building towards something and they might be recreating the wheel where it's already been done and been done 10 times better somewhere else. And the information is just not being shared. So I really feel like we need to use our communication platforms better or communication protocols better. And Bitcoin is a great way to, to maintain the value across those communication platforms, but I haven't seen us really harness the, the utility of the communication platforms. Master seems like it's a very good potential, but up until now, everything that we've had has been throttled, has been censored, has been like any, any really important piece of information that could have changed the, the mindset of a large international community has been blocked by the big tech powers that be because it's probably not good for them. And I think if we find ways to get the signal consistently through, then you're going to see a lot of that change. But that's we found it, man. Sense. This is it. It's Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every single day. We talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. Awesome. I knew I I'll tell you what, man. Like, look, we don't have a big show, but we are consistently here every day. And uh, I hope people feel like they're getting signal out of this thing. All right, so for Jim, good morning. Hi, good morning, Alex. Uh, thanks for bringing me up. Um, I just got on, so I heard nothing of what was said earlier. I saw my friend Dredd is on here, and I just had to say hi. But I also have a question. I also want to point out that this gentleman is one of the highest integrity people I've met in the Bitcoin space. We've been friends for going on three to four years now. Um, and uh, he impresses me over and over again the more I learn about the man. And uh, he's traveled quite a bit, and I was curious if he would um, be willing to uh, recount his experiences. I believe it was Ukraine. I, I remember a picture of you standing on a tank. Um, so could you tell us what it was like? I, I believe this was before the crazy war that's going on over there, and I'm not even sure what part of the Balkan states you were in, but it had to be unique, and I, we've never had a, a direct conversation about it. So I'm curious if you could, you know, um, express your you know what you experienced there as a bitcoiner uh, sort of elaborating on what you just said about how the different cultures see things differently i just i'm just curious about that part of your uh, your travels if you don't mind thank you yeah good to hear from you brother uh and hopefully i hear you on dirtbags later on this week but um 
Ukraine was an interesting trip. I went there through Bitcoin Magazine to do a travel blog. And um, as a Bitcoiner, I realized that, again, just like every other community, there are many people there with, that are Bitcoin-minded. Um, the actual Bitcoiners seem to be a little bit still underground in terms of, you know, feeling like they need to keep their, their communities private. You know, they wouldn't have open meetups or everything. You couldn't find things readily available for purchase or trade using Bitcoin because you know, it's just, it's not, it's not an open and, and um, out there type of, uh, it's still kind of taboo, I guess the way I would put it. And it's not because of a government um, opposed, um, it's not because it's government opposed in any direct way. And it's not because people think of it as scams. People understand, um, from the people I spoke to anyway, understand the benefit of Bitcoin. And if you were doing certain transactions like real estate, for example, Bitcoin was accepted in that way, but you just couldn't buy your, your regular lunch using Bitcoin there. That being said, um, you know, it's kind of like everywhere else. I feel like eventually the good money is going to be used. First, of course, of the store value as everyone's doing now, and then it's eventually going to be used as a medium of exchange there. Um, the, the bigger thing I wanted to talk about that I never really spoke about on the travel blog is the fact that everyone there, and this is in retrospect now after the, the war, because I was there long before the war was even a thing. Everyone there just wanted to be left alone. Like one of the people that worked there, especially one of the guys, he was a former Russian soldier that was working at the tank area where I rented the tank. I rented it for Bitcoin, by the way. That was pretty cool. But like I said, big purchases, they'll, they'll accept Bitcoin because it's, it's, it's a big enough purchase. Wait, did you say you rented the tank for Bitcoin? Did I catch yes. that correctly? That's correct. I rented the tank. <laughs> The, the dude didn't even really have a Bitcoin wallet, but because you know it was a good amount of money, he was like, yeah, I'll download a Bitcoin wallet, show me how, and downloaded a Bitcoin wallet and transferred Bitcoin to him. I think it did was we just, did we not earlier just say that you can deploy force through through spending, oh, and never mind, I'm sorry. Was that Jason continue. P. Lowry I just heard that? Yes. He, so, okay, to be clear, Dred's telling a story where he rented standing on top of a tank for just a minute. He didn't actually get to shoot anything. Well, Or did you? Did you get to shoot anything? Um, I won't comment, but I can tell you that, <laughs> I, that I drove the tank as well. I, I was able to put it in drive and drive it down this, down a muddy, a muddy path. It had three different gears. Those things go really fast. I didn't realize how fast tanks go. I don't know why I always thought they just kind of crawl along. You they know, used to crawl around. Terrain. They're like the, the ones today are, are really pretty powerful. Yeah, that thing that is a T-40 tank, um, pretty common Russian-made tank. And they were, those things were flying. It was the you know, speed of a small car. But anyway, and it was loud. It was, it was like a metal dragon. But um, I won't get too much more detail on the tank. It was more around the fact that Everyone there knew enough to accept Bitcoin if they wanted to, but it wasn't an evangelistic feeling. It was more like a, you know, still clandestine, we're going to accept Bitcoin, but let's not really talk about it type of attitude that a lot of people had there. And they sure. also had the attitude of, you know, leave us alone. We don't really need to be involved in your politics. You know, we have our own culture here. There's many different communities that were, that were very mixed in terms of Russian and Ukrainian. 
and some a lot of people spoke Russian. I'm Ukrainian. Uh, I went to a comedy show in the, in the middle of Kiev, and it was a Russian comedy show. So there was a lot of cross culture there in terms of you know who's who and where people's families are. People had family in the middle of of um of Moscow that were living there. So when so the people that I kept in touch with um, when the war broke out, they were just as confused and flabbergasted as as any of it's us. It's almost and like they're the same happened. people, kind of, right? I mean, is that is that saying it incorrectly? It seems to me. I mean, it would be to me. It would be like the United States going to war with Canada. It would just be so weird and and nonsensical. It. it uh, I don't. Really, I wouldn't say they're the same people, but they're. They have. If you talk to the people, they all have the same values. You know, they. 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 Well, they clearly don't have the same values if they're shooting at each other. Like, what's well, going on with that? It, it felt like they were told to do so. You know, like oh. if you, if I, yeah, you speak to the everyday farmer that's outside outskirts of, of Ukraine, and you speak to the everyday Russian that's in Siberia somewhere. They're probably going to have the same values, and you know they're not, and they both don't like what the governments are doing. So it's they, so. In other words, none them. of the people support this stuff. This is all like driven by the governments there. Well, remember, I was only there for a week or so, and I was speaking to people about Bitcoin and money. I was speaking to people about politics. And sure. people that I was speaking to were like, well, you know, yes, we love good, we love strong money, and we have a rough history here in this country of in Ukraine. So their main, their main point is, we don't want any more trouble. Leave us alone. Like get the fuck out of our lives and let us live prosperously, and we can work hard for ourselves. And that That's attitude, fair. you know, that that kind of, you know, live for yourself attitude. It, it felt very sovereign. It felt like Bitcoin type type attitude. When I spoke to them, so I I was very surprised that there was support for a war on either side. But then, of course, you know, if you think macro, it has nothing to do with the people's opinions, right? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing: we have six minutes left, and we have two hands up, which means each hand gets like thirty seconds. <laughs> let's try to let's try to lightning round this. We have well, actually, there's three people. So let's lightning around this. I want to give Dredd a couple moments to make a few closing comments, and then we will wrap the show. Stephanie, good morning and welcome. Do you have a question or comment here? All right, that was your key, Mr. Opportunity. Who's next? Peter. So I, I just want to say, Alex, um, in regards to your question to uh, Dredd, this is typical of America, right? Because Russia has 11 time zones. So think about that. Think about the difference in culture that you get from the time zone in the east to the time zone in the west. 11 time zones. This is a, this is a massive um, amount of geography to span. So I just wanted to say, so these people in the Ukraine and Russia, yeah, they can be very, very different. And they are. And they've had a history, a long history of, of conflict um, in that part of the world. Um, okay, but that was my question to Dredd. I just want to make that comment. My question to Dredd is, um, where do you see Bitcoin in the world being, um, I don't want to say best utilized, but maybe um, utilized in a way that is uh, that fits with uh, the Bitcoin uh, ethos and, and kind of what we think Bitcoin is going to become later on? And then where do you think um, the next place in the world is where this is going to happen, where this cascading kind of event and um, um, 
this use of Bitcoin is, is going to uh, begin to prosper? Uh, this is my hot take, uh, but, and it's maybe because I'm also a technologist, but I really feel multinational telecom industries will change the landscape uh, across multiple places. It, could, it might start off in Latin America because Latin America, um, and I say that in terms of Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, that entire region has, has a very limited number of, of telecom companies that spread across them. Digicel is one, Claro is one that spreads across a lot of Latin America. Um, the OI, OI is down by um, Argentina and Brazil. These companies, if they decide to, to start living on, under a Bitcoin standard, not just for their own books, but, but allowing people to use their phones with Bitcoin functionality built into their, into their service, you know, whether it's topping up or cashing out using that, I feel like that might actually kickstart uh, a circular economy across people that we haven't thought about yet. I don't think anybody's really pushed for the telecom to be a platform of value. And I, and I think that, that would change not just in a region, but that would change across multiple regions at once if, if telecoms do that. So it, it reminds me of the book that Michael Saylor wrote about the mobile revolution. And I feel like that really can, can propagate across Bitcoin if those two join together. All right, Bobby, 30 seconds. I'll make it quick. Uh, lots of great stuff there, Dred. I, I would just say this. One, one thing that you, you mentioned, the people, the people are amazing around this world. I've been blessed to be able to travel to 100 countries. I would say something like this. Um, in Eastern Europe, you go through Serbia, where I've been, man, Belgrade. You go to Bucharest. You go to Kishna, Moldova. You go to Kiev. You go to Moscow. Guess what? The people on the ground don't have many issues. The people are, it's all about humanity. Humanity is there. Uh, it, it's there's other other um, pressures going on here. But you're right. The people, the people, truly do get along, and I and I hope this brings everyone together. All right. Thanks for that, Dred. Thanks for hanging out today, man. Do appreciate it. You have a couple of minutes. Talk about anything you like. Plug anything you like, uh, and then we will wrap the show. Cool, man. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, I'm I'm not. Uh, you know, political or macro expert, like I see some really OGs in the crowd that would have been able to speak better at this stuff. But I do, you know, speak to a lot of international people. And, and I do think that um, my speaking with them kind of gives uh, kind of a bigger picture of what's going on if you look at everything together. So my podcast, One Love Bitcoin, is trying to get a person from every country so you can have an idea of what's going on in every corner of the world. And I know it's a big task and it, it might take years to complete, but that kind of catalog I think is invaluable because if you ever yeah. wonder what, what, what's going on in the area, then at a bare minimum, you have a, a, a snapshot of what was happening when I interviewed the person. And the best case scenario, you have a contact now where in every country, you know, a Bitcoin, you can message on Twitter or Telegram and say, yo, what's going on? And you know it's building a it's building a community that way, and um, check it out. It's it's one love Bitcoin, and at, on YouTube and all the social medias and and podcasts and 2.0, and hit me up if you ever want to chat. I'm I'm always about chatting about international about Bitcoiners and Bitcoin issues. Awesome, thanks for being here, man. Do appreciate it. Uh, all right, we have a we have we have a cameo from Greg Foss. Good morning, Greg. You got one minute. 
Less than a minute. Uh, love what you do, Dred. Open invitation. Come to Canada, please. Thank you. I appreciate it, Greg. Um, I've always been wanting to talk to you, so I might take you up on that offer. DM me, brother. We'll do whatever we can, okay? Fight the good fight. Thank you so much. Love it. Thank you. Great stuff. All right. That's it. That's a wrap. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do talk about Bitcoin every single day. We do it live on Twitter Spaces. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for about two hours. If you can't catch a live show, it is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, producer Jacob. I am your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. I am happy to help you. Thanks again. Dread, all the speakers that come up here on the regular, appreciate you guys. I've learned so much from all of you. I, I really genuinely value it. It's made this a great journey. Uh, this is what we call getting on the mission, teaching people about this bright orange future. I love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today. Questions.